but so I, I came back for the summer and got this internship in marketing. I was like, I don't know marketing. So I looked up all of these marketing blogs and I found Seth Godin's blog. And I just started reading his blog is how I learned marketing. At some point I went to this bookstore and found the four hour work week. I was like, this is amazing. First time, like someone who thinks like me. Yes. And I remember at that point, actually like realizing how much of an impact both Seth's work and Tim's work. And then like later in college, I was listening to Mixergy, all of that had on me. And I was like, one day, I just hope I can say thank you to these people like who've, who've had this impact on me. I, I think a big part of it is like, I just didn't give up. I kept sending those emails, kept like at it. I was in it for so long that I didn't want to be like, oh, I failed and I gave up. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep trying. We stand today. This is Method with method. a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneur's systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring high-performing entrepreneurs and high-caliber people dissecting their different methods, tools, and strategies so we can apply them to our businesses and lives. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built seven-figure businesses that can be ran anywhere in the world. And currently, we are interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business, affect income, results, economies, and cultures, especially post-COVID. Since we moved into a post-pandemic world, the landscape has changed drastically for most business owners. We're finding out what is working for the entrepreneurs out there that have positioned themselves well to make sure their businesses thrive, succeed, and continue to experience growth in this current economy. And now... Let's hop into today's show. The Business Method. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the podcast. This is Chris Reynolds reporting to you, and I am excited for today's guest. He's actually a friend, and his name is Sashit Gupta. He's joining us today from Maui in Hawaii, but normally he's based in Austin. And Sashit is kind of the brains and the genius behind making Andrew Warner's Mixergy podcast a sustainable, very successfully monetized podcast. He helped also Tim Ferriss grow his podcast, worked with Tim for about three years, and then Seth Godin as well, and worked with Seth Godin for a couple years. Sashit has a really great story about how he started out in India, came to the United States. He was inspired by, believe it or not, these three amazing people, Andrew Warner, Tim Ferriss, and Seth Godin, by reading their books and studying their strategies. And he had a dream just to meet all three of those one day and thank them for how they helped him change his life. And coming full circle, those people actually became clients of Sashit. Sashit helped Andrew Warner sell $70,000 in ads for his podcast in just one day. He helped Tim Ferriss grow his podcast when he was starting out. And also, Seth Godin's team reached out to him for some advice and some consulting, eventually hiring him to help Seth grow his podcast as well. Towards the end of the podcast, we talk deep about podcasting, how Sashid actually launched his own personal podcast, getting it up on the top 25 charts across all podcasts in the United States, where he sees podcasting going in the next decade, some hacks and tips and strategies that both him and I use and apply for growing our podcast 
and a few tips about how to make your podcast successful. It's an incredible episode, you guys. And without further ado, let's hop into the show with Sashi Gupta. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Welcome to the podcast or welcome back to the podcast. We have my friend Sashi Gupta joining us today from Hawaii. Sashi, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. How Thanks. are you? Great, great. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And it's worth a mention. Um, you escaped Corona in Austin, Texas to go to Hawaii for six months, which I think is really smart. Uh, which part of Hawaii are you in? We're in Maui. So yeah, it, it ended up happening where I was thinking about like, with COVID, like it's going to be a long-term thing. What do I want to do? And then a friend of mine was basically putting together this house with seven people. And he was like, do you want to come spend six months in Maui? And could not turn that down. <laughs> How do you say no, man? Um, so I actually have a good friend who is in my podcast mastermind and he's kind of, kind of a podcast mentor to me who lives in Maui. So once you get out of quarantine and if you want to connect with people, he's a really successful entrepreneur and podcaster. I'm happy to connect you guys. That would be amazing. Who is it? His name's James Jacobson. Have you ever heard of him? I don't think so. He's no. been in radio and media for 30 years or so. Uh, really successful entrepreneur and um, yeah, just a smart guy. So we have a podcast mastermind together and we bounce ideas off each other quite often. And, and mostly when James says, do this, Chris, and I do it, it turns out to be a really great idea. And I should probably listen to him more often, actually. <laughs> no, but I, I'm glad to have you on the show. We met at probably six months. We met seven months ago, right before COVID hit. So for those of you, it's October 2020 right now. And so you can put a timeline to our story. And we started just talking podcasting. And I was impressed with the things that you have been doing. I think you just launched your new podcast and you got on the top 10 business podcasts really within the first 30 days or something, right? Top. Yeah. It was for, for about a few days, it was number two in business and number 25 across like all shows in the U S and oh, yeah. that, that was completely unexpected, but very, very um, rewarding. Has it stayed there or, you know, and this is a bit different than normal times because of coronavirus, but has it, have you seen a decline on its rankings or was it just, do you think the initial push got it up there in the organic algorithms of Apple or what are your thoughts? Yeah. So, so it, it definitely didn't stay there. I'll share what we did and mm -hmm. also what looking back I would have done. So my background before this is primarily in using paid media to grow audiences. So when we launched our show, I, and I've spent like five years trying to figure out like what to do for iTunes specifically. Mm -hmm. And finally last year I found someone who kind of like cracked the code. So when, when we pushed it up the rankings, it was a combination of paid media and being a guest on other shows. And it didn't stay there because honestly, I was sort of unprepared for what happened. <laughs> I remember I was uh, getting dinner with some friends and uh, the we'd, we'd just literally started the growth stuff that we were doing that day. And my growth person texted me, at, I think it's like 10.30 at night. He's like, yeah, you're number four or five in business. What do you want to do? And I think at that <laughs> point we'd reached like top hundred in all podcasts. I'm like, wait, what? Uh -huh. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, like uh, keep pushing. And so he kept pushing and got it up to as high as number 25 in business. And definitely like, I think it's, it's a story with paid media, right? If you keep spending, you can keep something at the rankings, but if you don't keep spending, it doesn't stay there. Yeah. So we obviously didn't want to keep spending. I think what I would have done differently is 
one, I didn't actually have like a lot of other shows recorded and a consistent publishing schedule afterwards. Yeah. And one of the things I re realized about all these platforms is they reward consistency. So if you're publishing at the same time every every week, that's what they want. What yeah. I was doing was we put out four episodes and then didn't have any recording and then didn't publish for like a couple of months and then published again. And it just like the listeners didn't stay. So like having a more consistent schedule. The other thing, and again, like because it was me and a few, like one growth person, we didn't implement like 80% of our ideas. The other thing I would do is would I would have already have like PR contacts ready to go. So uh -huh. basically launch a podcast, get it up to the rankings, then get PR stories about how like a new show launched and became like a top show right away. Kind of like the Ryan Holiday playbook. Right. Um, because that takes that sort of like thing that happened, creates a story, creates the perception and makes that a reality. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I want to talk more about the strategies and the things you used uh, and the details about that. But I'm going to build up the suspense so we can talk about that towards the end of the show and talk more about podcasting and where you, you both you and I uh, see it going over the next decade. But you have a really cool Medium article. You were going to speak at South by Southwest in 2020 and, and tell your story and kind of open up about it. But that got canceled. And I was reading through the Medium story and uh, it, it's, a, it's a great story. Actually, I saw myself in a lot of the hurdles I had to go through and in your story as well. Um, but let's, let's talk about your life story. So, so started out in India a few decades ago, I won't say how many, mm -hmm. and then where did it go from there, Sashi? Yeah. So I was born and raised in India, moved to the U S in 2006, I was 17, just sort of in pursuit of the American dream and had grown up like really like, but one of my uncles, before I was born, he moved from India to the U S and then came here, started a business and all of those things. So like really like grew up um, hearing his story. I remember telling a friend recently and I didn't realize it was a weird thing until like I told him I was looking at SAT books probably in like fifth or sixth grade because my brother was taking the test to come to the US, right? Like it was just like always this thing that we were going to do. So I moved to the US and then um, it starts in like uh, probably 2007 where I got my first internship in Silicon Valley at this company called Water Cooler. Did and you I didn't move know straight from, to, sorry, did you move straight from India to Silicon Valley? Yeah. So, so we moved from India to California because that's okay. where my brother was going for college and we had family. Got it. But then I ended up going to college to Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. And partly it was because, so I moved uh, with my mom and dad and I was mm -hmm. like, I want to go to college in the U.S. to be away from everyone. <laughs> and if you're 30 minutes away, because I, I was deciding between a college in California and Pittsburgh, I ended up picking Pittsburgh because I was like, I want to be away from everything. And like, <laughs> otherwise, like, what's the point, right? So I, I came back for the summer and got this internship in marketing. I was like, I don't know marketing. So I looked up all of these marketing blogs and I found Seth Godin's blog, um, father of marketing for, for a lot of us. And like, I just started reading and like really reading his blog is learn is how I learned marketing. Okay. And then went back to college. And then 2009, I was interning at Bank of America. I still remember at some point I was, went to this bookstore and found the four hour work week. And it, that book has been a revelation and been sort of like the start of so many entrepreneurs. I was like, this is amazing. First time, like someone like, who like thinks like me. Yes. And I remember like at that point, actually like realizing like how much of an impact both sets work and Tim's work. And then like later in college, I was listening to Mixergy, all of that had on me. And I was like, one day I just hope I can like go like say thank you to these people like who've, who've had this like impact on me. So you had this so, dream, um, you had this dream to say thank you to Seth Godin, Tim Ferriss and Andrew Warner just Andrew, to show yeah. your gratitude. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, so after college, um, 
ended up working at GE and um, very quickly knew that like this wasn't my life. Like I was not going to be in corporate America. Right. I did this test where I looked at this person who was sitting across the cubicle from me and I was like, 20 years, do I want to have that life? And like nothing against him, right? It, it just like, I knew like, that's not what I wanted. So after a year, I was like, I'm going to quit. And so I quit my job. Uh, I remember still like calling my parents. I was like, look, I can do, I can go travel or I can get a job right away. Right. And I was like, I'm going to do the smart thing. So I booked a one-way ticket to Bangkok and they were not very <laughs> happy about that. <laughs> so, so I went to travel and then from there, like we ended up moving back to San Francisco and I was like, I'm going to start a business. And so I started basically emailing all of these companies being like, Hey, like my skill is marketing. And like, looking back, I'm like, I didn't know that much about marketing back then. Um, my skill is marketing, like just for consulting. And I sent hundreds of emails. And one of the emails was actually to Andrew Warner who runs Mixergy. Uh -huh. And he was like, okay, like this sounds interesting. Like, let's talk. But before, so, before we go there, can, can we back up a little bit? Because I know yeah, sure. a bit about your story while you were traveling and then before you were starting the business or trying to start the business, you had some really tough times, right? So I think you ended up in a hospital in Bangkok or somewhere in Asia. And oh, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think like this is like a, almost like a rite of passage that anyone who does like the nomad <laughs> thing goes through. Right. I was in Bali and, um, and it, it, it's funny, I so I first spent a month in Bangkok while traveling. Uh -huh. And I, I still remember I had travel insurance. And I was like, I haven't used it. I don't need to renew it. Screw it. <laughs> from Bangkok, I went to Bali. And like my, like, I think like one day we were traveling from um, Kuta to Ubud. And uh -huh. I was going to take this bus. And then I ran, ran into someone I had met in Bangkok. And he's like, I'm driving on a motorbike. Like, just come with me. I'm like, okay. So I was just like sitting on the back and like we went to Bali and like, yeah, like we're almost there and he's making this turn, the bike flips, I fall down and I'm like, I get up. I'm like, I'm okay. And I try and like move my hand and I can move oh, it like no. this, this, yeah. this hand. I'm like, oh, I, I've dislocated my shoulder. So yeah, like I ended up dislocating my shoulder and then they took me to this clinic, then took me to this hospital. It was, it was kind of crazy. It was like, what would you, what you would expect? Like we went to the hospital and they're like, yeah, like the doctor who fixes this lives two hours away so we have to call him and so i'm just like literally sitting in the hospital like this with my like hand like holding my shoulder and then by the time it was like i think like 1 a.m when we left the hospital uh -huh. and i still remember we still hadn't booked a hotel so they had to like find a hotel to like crash <laughs> at and then I'm, I'm delirious with like anesthesia and stuff it was it was a crazy experience but i've also learned it's so almost like this like rite of passage for travelers who go to like bangkok and bali uh, <laughs> yeah, so so I've been in a hospital in um, Chiang Mai for food poisoning, and then also in Peru, also for um, not food poisoning but salmonella. And so yes, it is a rite of passage for people that travel long term for sure. But this was kind of also like a dark moment in your life. Like you were asking yourself all these questions: Is is my path going to right? Is my life path going in the right direction? Right? Like this was yeah this, this, this yeah. Was I mean, I I. I, I quit my job to be like, I'm going to pursue this travel thing. Mm -hmm. And then this like accident happens. Right. Yeah. And um, then I recover and go back to India for a bit. Then I moved to San Francisco and for four months, I'm just like sending all of these emails, like getting nothing back. And I remember like being like, Oh, I, it's been a year since I've quit my job. So I've emails been, to start the business, right. To start your new. Yeah. Business. Emails to start the business and clients. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Like, and and I, I just didn't remember I would send all of these emails and I got really good at sending cold emails. Mm -hmm. So I'd get meetings with all these co-founders or, or founders of companies. They'd be like, Oh yeah, you, you sound like a good kid. Like I'm sure something will work out. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, but you're not hiring me. And like, I'm like, is there something wrong? Like, am I doing something wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Right. Like right. You start asking yourself these questions. 
And yeah, for a long time, like nothing worked. Um, so that was, that was probably like one of the low points. Hey listeners, if you're looking to amplify your income and become an authority figure in your space by getting booked on podcasts that your target audience is already consuming, then listen up. Our podcast sponsor today is Podcasting You. Podcasting You helps entrepreneurs just like you generate leads for their business, increase business revenue, and become thought leaders in their niche of choice. Podcasting You takes care of finding the right podcast for you to be on, writing your pitch, booking and scheduling you on podcast, and even preparing you for each interview you do. They've helped hundreds of entrepreneurs get booked on thousands of podcasts, and they've booked people on top-rated podcasts like Andrew Warner's Mixergy, Jamie Masters' Eventual Millionaire, and the Mike Dillard Podcast. If you're interested in getting booked on more podcasts, go check out podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method. That's podcastingyou.com forward slash the business method, and they will give you $250 off your first package. I've been a guest on many podcasts, and I can tell you that I've benefited handsomely both financially and for brand awareness from being on other people's shows. So go reach out to those guys at Podcasting You. And now, back into the interview. You were going in a, a cafe every day, same cafe, right? And oh, yeah. Send, the- <laughs> send, sending these emails. What was the name of the cafe? So so there's this cafe in San Francisco called the Higher Grounds Cafe, and it was like near where I lived. And I, I remember I would go there every week. And I would get this banana Nutella crepe because it was delicious. It's still delicious. Uh-huh. Um, and like, I would go with my Kindle. And I was like, okay, like I'm sending all these emails, nothing's working, but like, this is one thing that's under my control is like, just keep learning. Um, there's a Ty Lopez joke in there with like knowledge and, and stuff uh, uh-huh. in his head. Um, but yeah, I was just like, like sitting there and like learning and that became sort of my refuge. Cause I was like, I go there, I feel good. And like, yeah, it was something I would do almost like every week. And your the the so you spent four months sending emails, not getting much traction at all. What was your? It was just a cult, like you were just looking for the company's email, trying to get in contact with the decision maker or the CEO or the mm-hmm. founder, right, to see if you could start this business, this media business. And so, what was the first hit you got after four months and probably a couple thousand, few thousand emails? Like who who was the first person you got traction with? Yeah, so I, I sent a, a lot of emails. Um, at, at some point I was like, I'll even take a job. Cause I was like, like running through the savings that I'd saved from one year at working at GE. Mm-hmm. Um, one was I worked, I, I did a thing with this company where I applied for a job and they were like, we'll do a test with you. And then if you like the test that you do, we'll hire you. So I did the test and they're like, this is great. And I actually did not get hired. And I was like, <laughs> what? You like the test. And I actually remember it was interesting. I, I showed a few months later, I met, I've, through a friend I met, uh, went for lunch with Heathen Shah, who's the founder of Kissmetrics, very well known in marketing. Uh-huh. And he looked at and like, I remember like the meeting wasn't going well. I'm like, hey, like I did this test for a company. Can I show you? And I showed him, he's like, wait, you like, you just did this as a test. How long did it take you? I'm like one night. He's like, this is really good. You should start blogging. And actually I remember I started blogging, but then I posted something on Hacker News uh-huh. um, and it just got destroyed. Like literally like people <laughs> like, this is like, they're like, why is this person even posting this? And I, I stopped blogging because I was like, this isn't working. So I went back to like switching like cold emails. And I realized like, I'm curious now, like how much of like that not working publicly ended up making me always being behind the scenes. Because like, that's what I did for like the last like, eight years. Okay. But we'll get to that. So yeah, like I started sending all these cold emails. And one of them is Andrew Warner. And he's like, this is really good. Let's get on a call. So I get on a call with him and I send him, I send him these ideas. And he's like, um, so, this so really to monetize good. his podcast or to increase the stats of his podcast or what were the ideas? Yeah, it was like, it was a combination of like getting more listenership. Like I remember one of the ideas was, oh, Mixergy should 
be in every college. So can we reach out to colleges and do a partnership with like the entrepreneur institutions to like give some courses or interviews for free and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't remember all of them, but yeah, like along those lines of like increasing listen- listenership. And he was like, yeah, like uh, these are really great, but my company isn't ready to hire you. And I was like, this is the politest rejection ever. Um, <laughs> and so like for a long time, I think like I, started, I moved to San Francisco in January and like nothing worked until November of that year. So Andrew then moved to San Francisco from Washington, DC. And he was like, he was working out of this office called Regis. And yeah. um, I had a sort of like a membership to their lounge through like travel hacking and stuff. And I was like, I'm just gonna start like working from there because if I'm near him, he'll like, maybe like he'll wanna like work together. And like, I was like working, right? Cause I was literally just sit- sitting and like sending cold emails. Right. I have any clients. And then one day he comes out of his office and he's like, he's like, I'm building this thing for uh, a gifting thing for uh, Mixergy. Do you want to help? Uh-huh. And I was like, yes. And I remember like I went to his office, we worked for two years and he's like, what's your, what's your rate? And I was like, uh, no, this one's for free, whatever. He's like, no, tell me your rate. And I was like, and I remember like my voice was just like shaking. I was like a hundred dollars an hour. He's like, cool. So he basically like right there, like send me a PayPal for $200 uh-huh. and beyond, beyond that, like uh, thing that I did with the company. And I actually did a smaller project with someone else before that was like the real first ever. I was like, okay, like someone hired me, like one of these people that I listened to. So this could work out. Um, so, so from all the other emails though, nobody else, there was no traction whatsoever. No, no traction. Like I got all these meetings uh-huh. and yeah, like nothing happened. And I, <laughs> wow. I look back at that and now I'm like, I'm like, why didn't I be like, what? I actually, I didn't like, take time to reflect and see what was working. Mm-hmm. And what I realized now is it's actually very simple. I was really good at marketing, which is getting attention and getting the meeting. Yeah. I was not good at selling, yeah. which is like in the meeting, like asking for the sale. Yeah. Yeah. Makes Did sense. not realize that back in the, <laughs> that time though. Now, you know, after a really hard lesson. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so, but then, <clears throat> so this is um, a strategy I think they talk about in what's the book thinking grow rich, right? where they say okay if you can't if you can't work for the person that you want to work for go and volunteer your time or give some free work to them or or find where they're at and rub shoulders with them exchange ideas right and and you applied this i think it's a dale carnegie carnegie strategy or something like that yeah and so you applied this and now you've got you know your first 200 bucks that andrew paid you and so what happened next so, so what happened next is actually interesting. So I worked with Andrew and that was, I remember I was in, interviewing with this company, almost getting a job. And um, so, so a, a few months before that, before Andrew hiring me, I'd gone to interview at this other company. And while I was at this like conference thing, I hadn't I had my second shoulder dislocation. So I was like, so my arm was like back in a sling, right? What'd you, what'd so you do I'm, that I'm, time? Was it from the same injury or did you write another? Yeah, same place, but I was like literally like lying on grass and like I twisted my arm and boom, popped out. Oh man. So, so I started doing this with Andrew and like, it's like now I, I moved to San Francisco in Jan, 2012. Mm-hmm. It's December, 2012. And I'm like, okay, like new year's starting every, like, I'm going to like, it's going to be better. And, um, first week of 2013, I'm out with friends in San Francisco and I, this was crazy. Like I haven't shared why, how this happened publicly before, but I was literally like out partying and we're dancing and I put my hand like this uh-huh. and it pops out again, dislocation number three. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, this is just like, this is a great start to the year. Uh-huh. Um, and I also at that point, because I had already gotten a dislocation, I couldn't get insurance because this is before Obamacare and all. So okay. I'm just like, like now like medical bills are coming up, but like all of a sudden, like, 
what is happening? Um, so I remember calling my doctor and he's like, you're probably going to need surgery. I was like, there's no way I'm getting surgery in the US because it, it's so expensive. So I actually ended up flying to India, mm-hmm. getting surgery, recovering that and like moving back to the US. That's what I did. And I, I came back to the US and basically it was like now like April, 2013. So it's been two years, almost two years since I've quit my job. And that's where like that story that you read starts. It's like, I'm 25. I, like health, which is like three shoulder dislocations, <laughs> clients and work. Like I don't have any clients. I've made like 200 bucks or something, a little more with a few people, like nothing has worked. And I'm like, this is rock bottom. Like what's going to happen? Cause I have to also like move back home at that point. So you're back in the U S with dislocation number three post-surgery. And so then we're going into, so you still haven't, you haven't officially started your partnership with Andrew yet. Right. Yeah, we've done a small project, like, but nothing right. long term. Okay. Um, so what was? And so, next? so do you want to hear the? Do you want to hear the details for the the thing that we did that started everything? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So at some point, Andrew, like, I'm back in the U.S. Like, he emails me. He was doing these like Scotch nights, and he was like, "Yeah, like, do you want to come like meet other entrepreneurs?" And I was like, "Sure." Like, I went to that, and then the next day, he emailed me. He's like, "Hey, I'm I'm doing this project where I'm basically sending these bead bracelets to people. Yes. Um, I yeah. want like uh, more of them made. I don't have time to do it." deal with it can i hire you for a day to do this i was like sure and i remember like being like oh yeah like i'm just like got a degree from like carnegie mellon i'm making these bead bracelets right (laughs) um but but like it's like i think it's a great example of like everyone you have to like start at the bottom right right and what's crazy was so so he'd send other bead bracelets to people Mm -hmm. and i was like can you send me the invoice for that so i can make the same one he's like i don't have time to deal with it um just get it done and i was like okay so so i i did what i did and i went back to like give it to them and I was like, these are the same ones that you got. He's like, how are you so sure? Because I didn't give you any details. Mm-hmm. And so I shared with him what I did. What I ended up was doing was, and this is like, again, like crazy connections. I basically Googled Andrew Warner bead bracelets mm-hmm. in Google to, like, to see like if I can find like how he got them. And somehow he was, he had used this thing called TaskRabbit, okay. which is like, like a place where you can like place tasks. I found like the Google result for the task he created. Okay. <laughs> and so I ended up looking at, I'm like, okay, like this is the one he like made bead bracelets and the name and number of the person who did the task was there. Oh, or maybe wow. the name was there and like Google the name and like found the person. I remember like calling them. I'm like, this is really strange, but this person hired you to make these bracelets. Um, can you tell me where you got the beads and bracelets? She's like, yes, this is very strange. And okay. Like it was this shop in San Francisco. (laughs) So I went to the shop and like, I bought the same beads and like the strings and like made them myself. Right. Yeah. And, and I think what I realized now is like, when I told Andrew that story, he's like, you think differently. And now even like looking back, I'm like, what was I doing? Like, how did my mind like come up with this idea of like finding that person? But he was like, this is really good. Like, can I hire you for a week for like random projects? And then it was like two months. And like that led to like us working together for like eight years. Um, on like a lot of different stuff. And, uh, is this 2013? It started, yeah, 2013. Yep. So what were the stats? Like how old was his podcast at that time? Do you remember? Um, I don't remember the download numbers. He, I think he started in 2009 or 10. So okay. he, I mean, at, at that point he was, it was definitely an established podcast. He'd had like the founders of Wikipedia, Airbnb and Dropbox. And I actually remember in Silicon Valley, it, it was a thing to be on Mixergy. Um, okay. Because a lot of, like for a lot of companies, it was almost like this, this rite of passage where 
I started my company. I've made enough revenue that like Andrew's invited me on to be on Mixergy. Right. Absolutely. Um, I I remember one instance where like a lot of the like meetings I had, like I mentioned, like hadn't worked. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I started working with Andrew. And one day I was just like hanging out with him, and um, we're we're in the we took the train in San Francisco the Bart. So we we're, we're coming out of the train, going up these like escalators, and it's like me and Andrew. And then we ran into one of the people I had like had a meeting with uh-huh. that didn't work out. Uh-huh. And uh, he saw me, he said, hi. And he goes, um, wait, are you Andrew Warner? Looking at Andrew, he's like, yeah. And he like says, hi, he's like, oh, how do you guys know each other? He's like, Andrew's like, we're working together. And uh-huh. I just felt this like glee. I'm like, yeah, like I did, it didn't work out <laughs> with you, but now I'm working with Andrew who, you know. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, man. You didn't follow up yeah. with that guy and you were like, hey. <laughs> no, at that point it was just like, I started working with Andrew and like, with Andrew it was really interesting too. Cause it was like, basically my role and we didn't even have a title like until four months in was just like special projects. So okay. whatever he wanted to get done, I would do. And I remember like, I would like, I, I did all these things that like, looking back, it's kind of like crazy, but not to me. Like I would, for example, like monitor his like Twitter feed and replies and all of these stuff, because I wanted to know what was going on in this world. Cause I was like any problem that he's facing, I want to be able to anticipate it before him and solve it because then he's going to give me bigger challenges. So I did like a lot of different stuff with like helping like systemize the company, audience growth, um, building like tech stuff for like one of his courses. So we did all these things. And at one point I remember like I emailed him about something related to sponsorship and he sent me a reply and I was like, I can tell like something about the way he responded. He doesn't want to deal with it. Yeah. And, and so I was like, um, and I, because I'd proven myself, like he trusted me. Right. I was like, it sounds like you don't want to deal with sponsorship. I think I can do it better. Will you let me take a shot? Don't pay me anything up front, but give me a percentage of like whatever revenue that comes in. Nice. He's like, sure. So, so that's where I like end up becoming this like guy, like who now is known for podcast sponsorships. That's how it started. So basically I looked at how he was doing it. I, I did a few calls with companies uh, or f- friends of his who were, who were like doing well with sponsorships, like Jordan Harbinger, Pat Flynn. And basically like, because I was coming from outside, came up with my own framework of like how ads should be sold. And then he had a list of companies that had already been interested. So I started reaching out. I'm like, hey, like you applied to like sponsor Mixergy. Let's go on a call and figure this out. And the thing that I changed was usually sponsorship on podcast is based on CPMs, right? right. It's like, thousand downloads, $25 CPM. And so that's how you calculate the price. I was like, that doesn't make sense because uh, see, like thousand downloads on Andrew's podcast versus some other podcast is very different. Right. Right. Because of the quality of the audience. Thousand so I got on a call with a sponsor and I was like, let, and I, I didn't actually even know like CPM was like that big of a deal. So I was like, let's not even talk about that. What are you guys looking for? And they're like, um, we're looking for like six customers or like these many customers. I'm like, how much are you willing to pay for a customer? So they told me the price and I was like, okay, so let's say like, we can get you like five customers in a month. Does that make sense? They're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, five times what you're willing to pay. That's a sponsorship. Do you want to sponsor for a whole month? They're like, makes sense. Yeah, let's do it. And in that conversation, what I ended up doing was doubling the prices oh, because nice. now looking back, like I sold based on value instead uh-huh. of CPM. Yeah. So, so that became the first sponsor and I call Andrew. I'm like, yeah, like I sold the first sponsorship at this price. He's like, what? <laughs> Because like basically like double the prices, right? And he's like, this sounds great. Like you keep running this. I was like, cool. So I started doing that. And then I remember uh, a year later, we did this with one sponsor and another sponsor. Then both sponsors then wanted to sponsor. And I was like, oh, because Andrew only had one sponsor at the time. So I ended up calling Andrew. I'm like, Andrew, how about we have two sponsors? And first he actually said no. And I was like, what do I do? Because both these sponsors are interested. So who do do I pick? Uh And I was like, I went back to Andrew a few weeks later. I'm like, Andrew. I listened to Tim Ferriss's podcast and Jordan's 
they have two or three sponsors and both these sponsors want to sponsor you want to do it and he's like okay let's test it out so we said both yes to both and like i remember like basically like during that week because we said yes to both we closed seventy thousand in sponsorships nice and, so and seventy thousand dollars in sponsorships in one week yeah yeah and and the year before andrew had done like 50. so he's ecstatic he's like this is amazing uh -huh. and so that's sort of like how i like took over sponsorship and became known as the person who does pod podcast sponsorships that's incredible, man. So I've got so many questions around that. So you, this is one thing that, that comes up a lot is like still podcast advertisements are based on CPM, right? So cost per thousand and, and, but the podcast statistics aren't reliable. Um, downloads doesn't mean listens don't actually mean listen to the entire podcast or skip over the advertisement and this sort of thing. So you have podcasts like Joe Rogan's who have 15 minutes of advertisements before they even start the podcast. And, you know, 95% of the people just skip over those and go straight to the meat and potatoes. But you thought, and this is eight years ago, nine years ago or whenever, um, you thought, okay, how uh, five years ago. Five years ago. Okay. Yeah. So you thought like, how can we, where's the value that we can give these people? And if we give them that value, we can 2X the price for normal sponsorships. Um, very much like thinking out of the box and um, very, uh, very ingenious. Okay. Um, so, so I'm curious, like, how has sponsorships changed? We'll go back to your story here in a second. But mm -hmm. how has sponsorships changed? Have they? I don't feel like they've changed that much in the past five years. What are your thoughts on that? I, I, I think so too. So one of the things I, I I've been managing sponsorship for Mixergy or did starting then until like earlier this year, uh -huh. and we were able to replicate this with like multiple sponsors. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I would do, I'll share this and then I'll go back to your question. Mm -hmm. um, I remember watching the show Million Dollar Listing. Um, okay. And basically like in Million Dollar Listing, Frederick, Frederick Eklund, who's like the broker in New York, was doing a launch for a building. Okay. And he basically, what he did was like, he created like this whole thing around the launch and was like, yeah, there's only like a hundred apartments and like, you gotta like buy now. And then he would like call like the people into like, oh, it's already being sold out. I'm like, why don't I do this for sponsorships? So what mm -hmm. I started doing after we had like a few sponsors that we got was like, let me actually back up. All of this is predicated on getting results for sponsors. Like if right. you don't get results for sponsors, none of this works because they don't want to come back. Right. Right. Like Mixergy had an audience that made it easy because people would actually like buy sponsors products. So like sponsors want to keep coming back. So what I started doing was basically in September of the year, I would send an email to all sponsors. Hey, I'm having conversations with all sponsors for next year. And um, my aspiration or like what we think will happen is like, I forget what the word exact word I use, maybe predict or something that like we'll sell out Q1 in like three weeks. So right. I basically have like conversations with like all sponsors. And the first time we did it, I think we sold out half the next year mm -hmm. before the year started. Nice. So like like most podcasters don't know what sponsor they have the next week. Right. Right. Absolutely. We'd start the year with like between like, I mean, I think like at our peak of doing that, there was a year where before in the first week of January, we'd sold out 80 or 90% of the inventory for the whole year. Wow. Nice. Um, nice. By just like making that switch. Right. And, and I think part of it was also because I had direct relationships with the companies and the sponsors, mm -hmm. not operating through agencies. Um, so now coming back to your question, what I realized afterwards was talking to other podcasters, most sponsorship right now is happening through agencies. 
Yeah. And the thing is like a- agencies in a way are like are, are playing this role of the middleman between the podcaster and the brand. So the brand and the podcaster don't talk to each other. Yeah. Right. In this way, in this one, like we're like directly talking and like, really like I was looking at more as a marketer, like, like how do I create a campaign that gets the brands, the results, mm-hmm. because if I can do that, then you can play with all of these different things. Yeah. And because people aren't looking at sponsorship that way, it's like, Oh, brands paying me money. Um, the, the first question I always ask a brand is, okay, let's say you spend $10,000. What's the result that you want? Yeah. Right. And they're like, Oh, we just want customers. I'm like, how many customers? They're like, we don't know. I'm like, what's your, um, like customer acquisition cost? Like how much are you willing to spend? And like most brands don't know the answer. So I'm like, okay, if you get 10, if you spend 10,000, you get one customer. Is that good? And they're like, no, 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 no. We want more. I'm like, okay, like how many, because we need to measure this. Yeah. And I realized from talking to brands, like most podcasters or creators aren't asking the question. So if you don't know what success looks like for the brand, how are you going to deliver and then get them to come back again? Exactly. Exactly. I still think like this is something that is really broken in the industry because there's no great way to measure statistics and an ROI for a lot of those sponsors because a lot of people don't need they they either don't know what they need just like you said or they don't have a way to track what they need or they're just you know have extra disposable income and they're like hey maybe it'll be great for brand awareness sort of thing so yeah it's really interesting what do you think can change what do you think podcasters can do to get more advertisers for themselves so I think there's a few things even before getting advertisers, because it's, I actually think now like it's easy to get an advertiser. It's hard to keep them. Yeah. Um, so a few things, one is like, I think, so have you, have you heard a podcast where like, you'll hear the host reading an ad Yeah. and he has not tried the product. He or she has not tried the product. Like, <laughs> they do not care about the product. They're reading a PDF. Right. 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 So, so the first thing is like really like only having advertisers that you actually care about. So I, I did this math with someone. It was really interesting. I'm like, let's say like, okay, like there's 52 weeks in a year, mm-hmm. right? Let's say you publish two episodes a week. Mm-hmm. So that's 104 episodes. Let's say the average amount of like episodes of sponsor sponsors is eight. Okay. Right. So 104 over eight, that's um, like 14 or 15, right? Mm-hmm. You only need 14 or 15 advertisers to like have a successful year. Okay. And, and when I share that, like a lot of podcasters are like, oh, I didn't think of it that way because there's, I think there's an imbalance in the relationship right now where podcasters put sponsors on a pedestal yeah. and they'll take anything they'll get. They'll take any price they get, any sponsor they get. Mm-hmm. But really it should be like this or right. like this, like ideally, right? Because it's um, you have a valuable audience, you're bringing value and you actually can pick the advertiser that you want. Yeah. So, and, and then the question is like, how do I pick which advertisers to get? The easiest thing is if you have an audience, go to your audience and be like, what are products that you're already using? Mm-hmm. Right. So if you have, let's say like your audience is tech entrepreneurs, you're like, what products are you already using? They're probably using an email marketing CRM. They're using an accounting software. They're using like, what are other tools that you use? Myself or in, in your business. Yeah. Yeah. In your business. So same thing. Like, uh, you've got software for podcasts. You've got software to manage your money. You've got software to, um, email marketing CRMs. Exactly. Right. So like, it's like, so, so from there, you can like get, get an idea of like, what are tools that people are actually using? Yeah. And if someone in your audience is already paying for something, it's more likely that if you bring in a sponsor like that, they'll pay for that. Yeah. So that was, that's like the first sort of like mental switch you have to make. The second is looking for sponsors that are high value. Like they have a high LTV, so they're willing to pay more for a customer. So for example, like let's say you charge 10,000 for a sponsorship. Um, 
if a sponsor is willing to pay a hundred dollars per customer, that means they need what um, I'm blanking on the math, a hundred customers, mm-hmm. right? Versus if they're willing to pay a thousand customers, they they only need 10 customers. Yeah. So for example, like recruiting companies, they'll pay like a lot for a customer. So that means they need less customers. So going for sponsors that have a very high LTV for their potential customers. Yeah. That's another thing. Like that was a big shift for us when we started doing that. Suddenly it became much easier to deliver an ROI yeah. than like having something that like is like a pen where like they need like 1000 sales of a podcast. It's like, and a lot of times when, when I talk to companies, I ask them these questions. I'm like, look, I know like given like what you need, we actually cannot deliver an ROI for you. So I don't think you should sponsor. And they're like, wait, what? Like no podcaster has ever told us that. <laughs> like don't sponsor my podcast. That's very, that's incredible, man. Okay. So let's go back to your story. So you're working with Andrew. You've worked with Andrew for a couple of years now and um, you've monetized, you doubled, you tripled his, his income for the business for his monetization. Something I definitely want to talk about later is new, uh, new and creative strategies for people to monetize their podcast because 99% of the podcasters out there suck at it. So what happened after, so you got, you know, a year of, or almost a year of sponsors laid out for Andrew. What happened next? So at that point I was still like, I, I was consulting, so I had like clients, building websites, clients doing marketing. Like I was doing all these different things. And I remember I was at a mastermind with a friend and everyone there was like, okay, we need to pick a niche. Mm-hmm. And like, I'd done really well for Andrew. And I was like, okay, like my niche is going to be podcasters. So I was like, okay, I'm going to pick podcasting. And my goal is within like three years, work with like the top podcasters in the world, which was like Tim Ferriss and all of those. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I picked that. And I, I remember like at that point I'd recorded a testimonial with Andrew because of the sponsorship thing that we did. Mm-hmm. So I just got in those like videos back and I was like, oh, like I can use this. So I came back to San Francisco and I just started emailing friends. I was like, yeah, like I'm focusing on podcasters. Do you know anyone? And a friend of mine, Ned, he replied, he's like, oh, like, do you want to work with Tim Ferriss? I'm like, yes, like that's my goal in like three years. Like, of course. And I'm like, do you, can you make an intro? He's like, and he, he, I remember he came back with, he's like, I don't know what the angle is, but if you can give me an angle, I can maybe like send something. Uh-huh. And so I showed him the testimonial that Andrew had done or that I had done with Andrew. He's like, okay, this looks good. I actually can send it. Like send me an email and I'll make the intro. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I'm like, this is so, or like, it feels like I'm not ready. Uh-huh. So I, for a month, I actually like hesitated on sending it to Ned because I was like, I don't think I'm ready. And I don't want to fuck up this opportunity. Yeah. But something else had connected. Um, and I'll share that story really quick is a lot of the stuff that I'm doing with free work, kind of like you mentioned, like Dale Carnegie's book. For me, I learned it from this book, Recession Proof Graduate by Charlie Hohen, who basically used these strategies mm-hmm. to work with like Ramit Sethi, Tim Ferriss, and like Tucker Max and all these people. Mm-hmm. And so... I read that book back in college and I would just always like keep telling Charlie about like what I'm doing. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, like I use your book to like work with Andrew. Then I did this and I did this. And he was like, okay, you're actually like using what I'm saying. And what ended up happening was Tim had gone back to him and being, being been like, I want to hire someone like you. Who do you recommend? So almost a month after I sent that email to Ned, where I was like still hesitating on that intro, I wake up and there's an email in my inbox. It's inquiry from Tim Ferriss. I was like, what is going on? Because like Charlie had told him and it was basically like, yeah, like Charlie, was, uh, Tim was looking for someone to hire and they were like, do you want to, are you interested? I was like, yes. yes. Um, so I, yes, I'm interested. And I basically replied and then ended up getting on a call with Tim the next day. Mm-hmm. We talked for 20 minutes and we're like, let's meet in person. And I remember just being like terrified. I was like, I can't fuck this up. So I spoke <laughs> with Tim and he was like, um, this, all this sounds good. Let's meet in person. And I was like, cool. And he's like, my assistant will send you an invite. So his assistant sends an invite and I, I still get goosebumps thinking about this now. Um, 
his assistant sends an invite. I open the invite and I look at like the location they picked. Uh-huh. Right. So remember the coffee shop we were talking about before? Yeah. Where I went during like my darkest times. You were sending all the his emails team, out. Yeah. Yeah. His team had picked that same coffee shop. Oh, wow. And I was like, what are the chances of that connecting? And I just knew like <laughs> at that point, I knew like this was going to work out. So I went to that, went there, met him and then met him again a week later, met with his team and basically was like, one thing I could help you with is like audience growth through Facebook. Cause I had also like, while I was doing the sponsorship stuff, done consulting with like brands around like running their campaigns. Mm-hmm. We did a test, it worked. And basically that led to working with Tim and his team to manage their paid media to like for audience growth for like the next three years. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, and the crazy thing in that is like, from when I was like, this is like the darkest moment and rock bottom in 2013 mm-hmm. to then working with Tim, which led to like working with Seth, like six months later, basically within six, like three years of like rock bottom to 2016, all those three people that I mentioned, Tim, Seth, and Andrew, I was working with all of them. All of them. So I'm really curious to ask you this. And, and a lot of times it could be just chance, right? But but why do you think those three people, like they stood out in your life, right? And they were huge, they were very impactful and they were kind of heroes mm-hmm. to you. Why do you think that all came to full circle? Like a lot of people say, oh, it was intention. It was just chance. It was just, you know, who knows, whatever, the universe or whatever. You know, why did it work out for you? Just curious. Why do you think it worked out for you? I I honestly don't know. I think a lot of people will say luck isn't involved. I don't believe that. I think there is luck. Mm -hmm. The way way I think about luck is different though. I think a lot of people say, oh, like I could get lucky. And then they just like sit at home and are like waiting for luck to happen. Right. Like that. It's not like that. Like a friend of mine has this concept, which is luck surface area, which is basically you do things that increase the chances for luck to happen. Okay. So I think like part of it, it was like, I, I think a big part of it is like, I just didn't give up. I kept sending those emails, kept like at it. Right. Because a lot of people would have given up. And like a friend of mine, I remember like asking me, they're like, why didn't you give up? I'm like, honestly, it was just delusion because <laughs> I, I was in it for so long that like, I didn't want to be like, oh, I failed and I gave up. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep trying. Uh-huh. And something will happen. I think it's that. I think it's, I don't know. I think it maybe is a combination of like intention. Right. But I think the, the one thing that it comes down to is just like not giving up and going at it. But also don't want people to listen to that here and sort of like take it in a prescriptive way of like never give up. Because sometimes like when you're doing something, it is better to give up, retreat and like take a different path. Yeah, for sure. But it's good that you didn't do that this time. Yeah. <laughs> On this side, then, yeah. So, so then you worked uh, with Tim for, what'd you say, three years? Three years, yeah. Three years, um, focusing on growth and uh, monetizing the podcast? Is that what you're... Not, not the sponsor, like his team was handling that. Okay, gotcha. And, um, and then Seth Godin came along. How did that connection happen? So that was similar where, um, and, and actually the subtext in a lot of this is like, it's, it all comes under relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, back in, going sort of like back to like college, Seth had launched, or actually this is a year after college while I was working at GE, Seth had launched this thing called the Alt MBA back then. Yeah. And basically like he'd hired six people to do like work with him for six months on this thing called the Domino Project. Okay. I remember when he like came out with the list, uh, one of the guys was this guy, Willie Jackson, who basically before that, I think he'd worked at Deloitte or one of the like consulting firms. And I was like, I'm working at GE, he's working, worked at Deloitte, like similar kind of like path. I just sent him a cold email. And I think that's maybe another thing is like, I'm not afraid to like, cold email anyone. Yeah. Like. If I want to like, read someone, I'll just send the email and like, maybe they don't reply. That's fine. 
So I called him and I'm like, hey, like I'm at GE, like you did this, like how did you do this? Mm-hmm. So I was like, random, but would you get on a call? And he actually got on a call with me and the same, like I just kept him updated after, like kept emailing him after being like, this is what I'm doing. Oh, now I quit my job. Now I'm working with Andrew. Now I'm working with Tim. And I think this is another thing is, if you can show someone your trajectory and like that you're like actually growing, mm-hmm. then they become invested in helping you, right? Yeah. So with Billy, I was like showing like I'm, I'm growing. And then like Seth launched the Alt MBA, like the actual big program. And Billy was a CTO. And, and I remember just seeing a Facebook ad that the, his team was running, Seth's team. And I was like, I think I can do this better. And I'm also now running ads for Tim. So like that gives me sort of like a social proof. So I just emailed Billy. I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing with Tim. Um, I saw your ad. I think I can like help you guys. No hard sell. Like if you guys want to have a conversation, let me know. So I got on a call with the program director. And I actually remember that she was like, we don't want to hire someone for this, but we want to learn. So can we pay you for consulting mm-hmm. to teach us? And one of the things I always try and do is I try and get asked, get to the point where I can like demonstrate my skill set as fast as possible without any like legal or contracts or whatever. Right. Because if someone can see the work I'm doing, then it's more likely they'll want to work with me or hire me. I was like, yeah, like happy to help you. And they're like, how much would you charge? I'm like, don't worry about that. Let's do two hours for free. And so, cause I was like, I'm just going to, I want to help you as fast as possible to show yeah. you what I can do. Yeah. So she's like, okay. So we did two calls and I showed them like everything about Facebook. And at the end they're like, this is complicated. Can we actually like hire you to, <laughs> hire you to run the ads? Yeah. And so like, that's how that connected. Nice. How long did you work with him then? That was almost two years. So now you've got your full fledged podcast media um, business up and running and doing very well for itself, working with other entrepreneurs and many people out there before we start talking more on podcasting is there anything else to Mm -hmm. this story that you want to add because there was a lot there i think we completely went through the hero's journey anything else that you felt like we missed out no i I think i think we cover i don't think i've actually ever gone into this much detail on a podcast besides that story i wrote so so thank you for guiding and shepherding that well that's a great story because like i've been in dark places in business like i've been broke i've been sending out thousands, of, maybe not thousands, but hundreds of emails over and over trying to get contacts, you know, and, and I've been in spots like that, but it's always great to hear those stories because they, I think they really inspire other people to keep going. It doesn't matter like what area we are in our entrepreneurial career, whether we're starting out, whether somebody hasn't ever started a business before or we're on business number seven and we're, we're looking for investors for a very first time, you know, mm-hmm. and we've got to send those emails out, emails out, emails out. Even Tim Ferriss has a story. Didn't he go to like 38 publishers before somebody Dude, accepted the four hour work Something along those lines, yeah. Yeah, and and finally somebody accepted accepted him, and he was like, "Oh God!" And then he got on the New York Times bestseller, very similar to you. Like you got on the top Apple Podcast rankings when your podcast first came out. Podcast mm-hmm. is called Conscious Creators, by the way. Uh, Sashit's podcast for those people that want to check it out. So, so the podcasting world today, we were going to talk about quite a few things, but it's it's really interesting because it's twelve ish. 15 years old, depending on who you ask. And, but it's still very much the wild, wild west. And I think a lot of us podcasters feel like that. Um, and the challenge is the amount of work that it takes a lot of people and their inability or, or lack of know-how on how to monetize it to give themselves a ROI. So what's your take, Sashit, on using a podcast to monetize your own products and services versus using your podcast to do that versus trying to build a podcast for advertisers. 
Yeah, totally. I, I think most, if you, if you look at most industries, there's like a, the, the sort of like Pareto principle, like the 80, 20, or I think in podcasting is 90, 10. And mm-hmm. what I, my view on this is like most podcasters actually cannot make like, um, an income that's like livable just right. through advertising because right. the reality is like most podcasts don't get that many downloads. Right. I think, right. um, uh, I remember reading a statistic where if you're getting more than $2,000 an episode, you're in like the top 20% or something. Yeah. I believe that. Um, and, and if you like, again, like go back to the CPM thing, if you go by like normal CPMs, 2000 downloads means $50 an episode. Like you mm-hmm. can't live off that unless you're producing like multiple episodes a day. And that can be changed though. Like if you get like sponsors, like we talked about where like they'll pay way more, but again, it's like, you have to have a very like niche focused podcast. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I almost look at like podcasts as like, you're, you're basically creating this thing to like build trust with your listeners, build trust with your people. And if you monetize it indirectly, you can make way more, right? That could be like selling products. That could be selling courses. I know a lot of like companies right now that are like software companies or whatever, what they're doing is they're basically creating podcasts as content for middle of the funnel. So yeah. once someone is interested, be like, Hey, go listen to this podcast because it just builds such a different kind of trust. Right. I think podcasts can be a way to demonstrate a skill set. Let's say you're trying to enter a new industry, start a podcast, interview the top like 20 people or 10 people in that industry, 15 minute episodes, publish that. Suddenly, like, you know, everyone. Yeah. Right. And I think that's one, one thing we should actually highlight is there are people that like I would want to ask questions that if I send an email being like, hey, can I pick your brain? I would not hear back. Right. And instead of that, if I send an email, can I have you on my podcast? They will clear their calendar. They will give me two hours. They will answer any question that I have. That's the majority of my guests. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, go ahead. It, it, it's such a great learning tool, right? And I think like through that, you can like build the relationships that you can leverage for something else. So I think like a lot of people try and like mon- make money from something like directly. Yeah. Or maybe if you go like second, third order, cons- like order and like do something there, there, there's much more that can be done. Here's, I just thought of this while you were talking about it, but like for, say you have a dream job, this is for not the entrepreneurs, but you can probably apply this strategy as well. Say you have a dream job and you want to work with this company, then interview, then start a podcast as your resume, interview 10 or 15 of their major competitors, or even maybe the, the CEO or founder of the company that you want Mm -hmm. to work for. And then go put in your resume, say, you know, and put that on your resume that I know more about the competition or I know more about uh, your competitors and your business than the majority of people that will ever apply for this job. Right. And it'll take extra work, but that will absolutely make somebody stand out. Um, Same way for maybe if you're raising capital for a business or or anything like whatever your goal is, start a little podcast that could just do you can even just do 10 episodes and Mm -hmm. um, have those recordings to help you achieve whatever goal you want to achieve so one, one of my favorite stories is um harry stebbings so he runs a podcast called 20 minute vc where okay. i think he was 18 in his like college dorm with like 50 bucks started a podcast and just basically started reaching out to like top investors mm-hmm. and i think he's published more than a thousand plus episodes um and has basically interviewed like the best of the best investors in silicon valley right yeah. and like think about the amount of like relationships and capital like social capital he's built yeah because now you can like start connecting guests together and then start like having guests back and like sending them information. It just, it, you, be, you can become the center of any world yeah. with the right guests in a podcast. 
Well, that's a hundred percent. And when I started this podcast, that's exactly what I, I figured out. Like I wanted to be a six figure entrepreneur. So I interviewed mm-hmm. hundred six figure entrepreneurs and then I got, became a six figure entrepreneur. And then I interviewed hundred seven figure entrepreneurs. Right. And now I'm interviewing <laughs> major influencers and then I'll have to interview hundred eight figure entrepreneurs, maybe not a hundred. Hopefully that takes a long time, but then maybe I'll get to the point where I can interview hundred billionaires, you know? And so it's just like a strategy to continue continue my own growth, but connect with all these amazing people and, and build this amazing network and end up doing business with people and make great businesses. Like you're a creator. You like that creators help creators create or people create, and it makes a win-win situation all around. Right? Exactly. Let's chat about your strategy. So you launched, you actually launched your first podcast early. Was it earlier this year or late 2019? December. Yeah. So the story from kind of like picking up where we left off was, uh-huh. so I was working with Andrew, Tim and Seth. And then basically through a lot of personal development over the last year, I realized, oh, actually like I, when I was a kid, I was really good at art and like being creative. And for a different reason, I stopped doing that mm-hmm. and subconsciously ended, entered a career supporting other creators mm-hmm. when I wanted to be the creator all along. Right. And when I realized that, like, that was like kind of like fear preventing them, like I have to face that fear. So like last October, I was like, okay, I'm going to start a podcast myself and then basically launched it in December. And I think you were going to ask about the growth stuff. Yeah. So, so we'd like, I'd, I'd done a lot of experiments when, when I was working with Tim and other people trying to just like figure out like, how do you crack growth? And then I found someone, a friend of mine who had kind of like figured out some of the pieces. And I was like, all right, let's test this out on my own show and add a few things. And a lot, most of it was paid media, which is basically like finding the right people at the right time on different publishers. So now we can show ads on Yahoo, New York Times, like we've evolved sort of like that thing. And mm-hmm. I think he's going to probably end up creating an ad network through that. I and mean, we just, yeah, like spend money on ads to, for the podcast. And one thing I figured out was iTunes cares more about the rate of a gro- rate of growth of a show yeah. than actual growth. Yeah. So if you have a thousand dollars and you get a thousand more, Versus if you have 10,000 and get a thousand more, it's very different, right? Right. So we just like stack growth and we didn't know it was going to work that well, but it did. And yeah, that's what got up, got us up in the rankings. Uh, what type of advertisement uh, were you doing? It, it was just like banner ad, a combination of like banner ads, ads and like mobile apps. So like okay. if you go on New York Times and stuff, you know like the banner ads that you see? Okay. Yeah. 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 It was just those. And now what we can actually do is do banner ads where it's like, an interactive ad where you click and then there's a podcast player embedded in the ad. Okay. And were you guys focused on reviews or strictly just like downloads? Strictly downloads. I did get reviews. I don't know if that made a difference. I'm still like, I don't have a complete formula for it, Right. but I do know it seems like downloads matter more than anything else. How many reviews did you guys get in those first 30 days? Right now it's at 70 and I think about 50 or 60 of them came during the, that time. Okay. So, so not a lot. And then, um, but your downloads, how many did you get in the first 30 days? I know it was over 20 or 30,000 and like, like in basically I think in the December and Jan, it was around like 20 to 30,000. Did you ask any friends to promote it or contacts or anything? Um, anybody? I, yeah, I, I asked friends. I don't know like how many actually did. One thing that I think was helpful was one of the episodes I recorded was with James Alster yeah. and he liked the episode so much. He's like, if you're launching, like, how can I help? And I'm like, oh, I want to get down. So he basically took the episode we recorded and published it on his feed being nice. like, Hey, I did an interview on this show and like, go check it out. So I'm, I mean, his show is huge. So I'm sure that helped a lot too. Yes. Very cool. One thing I'll share this on this though. I think it's interesting is like, and I've realized this like after the fact, even though I like hit those download numbers, 
I started, I went back and studied like other creators and you can actually do this on YouTube because it shows the views. Mm -hmm. I think one arc of this like creator's journey is when you start, you will do a lot of experiments and stuff. Right. And like, it does take time to figure out your voice, right? right? Like you can't just come out and be the best. And um, in a way, I almost like hacked it. And I, I realized like, it affected me in like a negative way because I was like, then had this expectation, like 20 episodes of in being like a, a top podcaster. Right. But I'm like, I'm still finding my voice, right? Because you can't like 20 episodes in, you don't know what you're doing. You're still like doing what you think you're supposed to. Right. Um, so, so that created its like its own problems in a way, because I had all these expectations and I'm like, oh, I'm not living up to them, which is why actually I didn't publish for a while. Yeah. So I was like, what is my show about? It's interesting. Like there's a quote from Jim Carrey. He was talking about his dad and like how his dad wanted to be a comedian, but wasn't then got fired from his job. Mm -hmm. And Jim Carrey's lesson from that was if you can fail doing what you don't want to do, might as well do what you want and then fail. <laughs> right. And for I me, like my, my corollary to that is like, when I launched my show, I was kind of like my show, the initial episodes was what I was supposed to do. Uh -huh. Right. Cause I wasn't like really doing what I wanted. And I was like, if I can succeed doing what I'm supposed to do, might as well just do like what I actually want to do, like see how much successful that can be. Right. So now that's what I'm exploring is like, and that's what we were talking about at the start of the show is like the art of creating a podcast. I'm like way more interested in exploring that of like different styles of interviewing, studying different interviewers. Can you like do something completely different from like interviewing and like storytelling, mixing different interviews and like creating like one story from that? Like the, the, that, those are the stuff, things that I want to experiment with now. I want to ask you here in a second about where you see the future of podcasting, but also before we get there. So did you, when you advertised for your podcast, when it first came out, did you do any social media advertising, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? We did not. No, no, no. Okay. Any, any reason why you chose, chose like banner ads and, and that type of advertising versus social media? So I, I remember when we, without, cause like a lot of the stuff I did with Tim, it's like Andy and I can't go into details, but we did mm -hmm. try like for podcasts, banner ads. The problem I found with social media is, so if you do an ad for like a Facebook ad, right? Mm -hmm. What you're basically doing is like, you show an ad on Facebook, you send traffic to a landing page. The landing page has a pixel, which sends Facebook information back about what action people took, which mm -hmm. tells you how the ad worked, right? So like you basically like create a feedback loop which allows you to improve the advertising right. that you're doing. The problem with sending ad traffic to iTunes is there's no feedback. Okay. So if you spend like thousand dollars on ads on Facebook and mm -hmm. send that traffic to iTunes, you can't create a connection from iTunes back to Facebook of what worked and what didn't. Because I remember when we would do ads for a tangent, we'd like do a lot of experiments. So we'd start with, let's say like 10 Facebook audiences, four images, four texts. So that's 10 times four times four, which is like 160 different ads. Yeah. And we would see out of those 160, maybe 20 would work. So we turn off the others and then double down on the ones that worked. Right. So like that, we weren't able to do that for podcasts through, um, Facebook with this stuff that we did with banner ads, the person I worked with, he figured out some like tech way to basically with the phone, mm -hmm. send feedback back to, into our system. So if someone clicked on a banner ad somewhere, it led to the podcast app. Nice. Okay. And then they went back to the, where the ad was it was sending us feedback of like what people did. So we were able to improve that. And basically it's high frequency trading for advertising. Yeah. So that's why we did that instead of Facebook and stuff. That makes total sense. It's kind of a, 
a mystery where podcast is well mystery not so mystery but like a, an uncertain answer where podcasting is headed over the next decade mm-hmm. um because we have a, a system of podcasting that um is great at getting the message out there but it's not necessarily sustainable for a lot of people to to continue to do over the long term mm-hmm. so what's your predictions like what do you think over the next five or ten years where podcasting's headed sashi so what I always like doing is like first studying the past because I think like a lot of times history has the answers for us and yeah. things repeat in different ways. So one thing I'm fascinated by is the entertainment world. So okay. if you look at like the back, like let's go back to the 80s, right? 60s, 70s or 80s. We had all of these actors and making movies. And basically um, at that point, the sort of like gatekeepers of everything were the movie studios. Right. So there were a few movie studios, like Universal, um, Sony, that basically greenlit movies and stuff and like controlled funding for the creation of movies because the production of movies was expensive. So they were the gatekeepers. Right. And then like in the eighties, there was this agency that started called creative artist agency that ended up managing the artists. So they were the agents for the artists and they started like packaging like directors and actors and stuff. And then they would basically put together a whole movie, go to all the studios and be like, we have this movie ready to go. Do you want to fund this? If you don't, we'll take it to all the other studios. Mm -hmm. So basically they kind of like took some of the power away from the studios towards the agency. Like there's a book called Powerhouse CAA about like how they basically in the 80s and 90s and still today like controlled Hollywood. Um, that, fascinating. That's, that's called Powerhouse EA. Is that what you said? C C A A. So it's C- Creative Artist Agency. Okay, got it. Yeah, got it. and so I think like now what's happened is with the internet, with like all these like apps and stuff, production is no longer the the gatekeeper, right? Because like to create a podcast, you need a sixty dollar mic like we both have, and that's it. Like you don't need like massive things and like the challenge now I see in podcasting so so especially with COVID there's there's two things happening the number of podcasts that are being created is going up exponentially because everyone's starting one yep and then what that means is like the number of content that's being created is also going up exponentially more than exponentially because more people are creating more content yeah so that's no longer the the scarce thing because there's so much of it so the scarce thing is attention and what matters now is distribution because it's easy to create content, it's uh, it's hard to get distribution, right? And all of these platforms like Facebook, um, Amazon, and then Spotify and Apple Podcasts, they're now becoming the gatekeepers because they they gatekeep distribution. So almost like I always think of this as like the platforms have now become the movie studios. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're seeing that in like movies with Netflix now like making producing movies and spending way more on content than like a lot of studios. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of answers are already there in what's happened in other worlds, right? Like you're seeing this with TikTok. I was reading this article about how there's all these famous TikTokers. And like when the TikTok ban was happening, there's another app called Thriller, uh-huh. which basically is like literally like whining and dining the top TikTok stars to start <laughs> producing on Thriller. Uh-huh. Microsoft did the thing where they got Ninja on Mixer. And now Ninja, who's like the pro gamer, is actually being represented by CAA. So I think for the top 10% of podcasters, it's actually very similar to the movie world where like the, these platforms are becoming gatekeepers. You'll see people signing exclusive deals with the platforms with like Joe Rogan and Spotify. Right. Because if you look at like platforms like Spotify, what they care about is getting more listeners and increasing the listening time, because that means they can then show ads. Yeah. So anything they can do that, they're going to do that. So they'll start like taking the top podcasters to those and like signing exclusives like DJ Khaled is launching an exclusive podcast on Amazon. 
then like Apple is going to start doing this. One thing that for me was fascinating was hearing how Spotify uh, right now, what, what happens with them is they have deals with labels mm-hmm. where basically if someone listens to a song on Spotify for every listen, they have to pay the labels a royalty. Right. And this is one of the reasons they are getting into podcasting because if someone listens to a podcast, they're listening to less music and they don't have to pay a royalty. Yeah. And then in response to that, I don't know if you've seen like music studios are now getting into podcasting. Mm-hmm. So Sony, for example, is like producing podcasts or like funding podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. So I think podcast is in early days. It's early innings. It's going the way of like music and movies. And yeah, there's like wide open spaces. And and I think it's going to accept the market is going to separate out into like top 10% and top 90% right. or bottom 90%. And I think the challenge for the bottom 90% is literally like, how do I get distribution? How do I monetize? Yes. And now for those things, there's all these like software tools that are being built because yes. finally it's a big open, big enough market. So how do we do that? How do we become the CAA of the 1980s? Like if we're, if we're podcasters and there's so many big gatekeepers up there and the vast majority of podcasters in the bottom 90% compared to the top 10%, what are some ways that we can increase distribution and or monetize? Because if we really don't need to be in the top 10%, if we can monetize those really well, mm-hmm. um, right? We just need like a select niche, um, but we have to figure out a, a, a great monetization strategy for our own show and our business. But then distribution wise, it's like, what are we going to do to stand out to get in that top 10% if that is the strategy? Yeah. So, 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 so going first, like talking about distribution, I know you've had Ron Lynch on the, on your show too already. Yeah. yeah. Um, he's one of the most fascinating people I've t- thought about in terms of like positioning and marketing. Yeah. So I think the first thing, if you're creating a podcast now is like thinking about your positioning and like your market to like, really like, how do you stand out from everyone else who's creating a podcast? Right. right. That's the start. Like, that's why I like call my show conscious creators. Cause I'm trying to like change the word influencers yeah. to creators. Yeah. And then like own that word. And then that's why I do like a mix of like business and creative because no one's like kind of like doing that intersection. Okay. So that was sort of like my positioning. I The way I'm thinking about it is like, where do people who I want and listeners already hang out? So like go on other podcasts, bring listeners to your own. Mm-hmm. My goal is to start monetizing as fast as possible, whether it's through courses or different like ads and stuff. And I haven't done that yet completely because I was just focused on creating better content. As soon as I can reach a certain level of monetization. I want to take that money that's being generated and put that into paid media to grow the audience. Okay. And one of the things I'm, and I haven't like full disclosure been successful at it. One thing I'm trying to do is basically go to sponsors and be like, look, my show isn't big. I know, but advertise on my show because there's no one who knows how to turn like ad money into downloads. So if you spend $10,000 to like add, put ads on my show, I'll take all of that and like put it on ads to mm-hmm. increase the downloads of the episodes you sponsored. Yeah. Haven't been successful yet at that, but I, I'm sure like I'll find one or two companies that are interested in that. Yeah. And basically like really like we want to create that virtual circle, which is whatever money you're creating, put that into ads, build the audience, which means people will pay more and you'll generate more revenue. And then you put that back into growing the show. And just like, it's easy to say, but like, it's like hard to build. That's what I'm trying to do is like build that initial flywheel of growth. Right. So and, go ahead. So that's the first part. And I think like the, the other part that shouldn't be discounted though, is like at some point you just need to have a really good show, right? Yeah. Because that's how like things enter the zeitgeist and become big. Right. Um, and then I think a great example of that is like the book, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by mm-hmm. Mark Manson. Mm-hmm. Like he's not spending money on ads, but like something about the book and the timing and everything 
it it struck a nerve in the market and like in consciousness where it just took off yeah. and like that that's the end goal is like creating a show like that yes um i want to ask you about um so taking so because we have all these gatekeepers we can, not all these but a handful of gatekeepers now because really it'll take <clears throat> for the average podcaster maybe 10 years to get through a lot of those gatekeepers um, to produce content, to find them their voice, to get really good content and, and find their niche, to then penetrate that the gatekeeper to be in the top ten percent. It's a really daunting road for a lot of people. So there's this idea of um, well, why don't we create um, non-public type of podcast and mm -hmm. then create a subscription model for for um, uh, our fans, our current listeners, so then they have um, uh, special content that they pay monthly or yearly for. So a friend mm -hmm. of both your and mine, Tan Fam, does that, and I think he does it pretty well with his productivity show and his business Asian mm -hmm. efficiency. Uh, what's your thoughts on that? Have you played with that? Um, know anybody else that's using it, like besides Tan? And um, where do you think that's going? So, so I haven't played with it, but I love that model. Because I think the other thing that's happening is with this sort of like platforms, like the way they are, you can actually now build a direct relationship with your audience. Right. Like if you're like an actor in a movie, it's like you act in the movie, then the movie goes to like movies, theaters, and the theater sell the tickets, right? You don't have a direct relationship with your audience. Now as a podcast, you can be like, hey, go on this link and sign up so you can build those direct relationships. And people are starting to monetize that. Um, Shout out to like two companies in this article that I love. Um, one is this article called the 100 True Fans Model, mm -hmm. which was on like Anderson Horowitz. And then the company actually tends using like uh, Supercast and there's another one called Glow, yeah. which are basically enabling these um, these sort of like subscription models. Because yeah, I think like what, what that does is it basically brings the economics of a SaaS business with like recurring revenue yeah. and brings that to podcasting. Right. And the early numbers I've seen from people talking with Tan and talking with Supercast, I think it's it's fascinating. And they actually did a post, uh, which was Joe Rogan got ripped off because like his <laughs> Andrew, who's like one of the founders of Supercast, his view is that Joe Rogan would have made way more uh -huh. by partnering, by, by doing more subscription thing rather than like selling. Right. Right. So I think like, yeah. that's the first thing. The other thing that's happening is all of these things where it's like content, commerce, and all of these things are getting merged. So you see that with like Kylie Jenner. Kylie Jenner had an audience on social media. Yeah. Built a makeup brand, right? Yeah. And then like that blew up, right? She's she's a billionaire or whatever. So I think that's what you'll see is like creators partnering with now companies and actually building their own products instead of advertisers. Right. You're seeing that with um, what's his name? Bryce Hall, who's like a TikTok TikTok sort of like celebrity. He has his own energy drink. So yeah. instead of partnering with an energy drink, they're actually people are starting to start their own businesses that like they have more equity in and, and more long-term. So I think yeah. you'll start seeing that. But again, going back to that top 10, nine, bottom 90, you have to sort of like get to a level of audience to be able to do, do those things. Yes. Yeah. Do you though? Like, because if you start, say you start your own website and you're offering a service mm -hmm. on there and, and specific content behind the scenes, you could kind of build that up over time without having the audience beforehand and just have a subscription-based podcast and maybe mm -hmm. throw out some feelers there and just put out a, an episode once a month or something like that. I could see starting out like that without mm -hmm. having the audience beforehand. It's easier, obviously, if you have the audience beforehand. Um, yeah, I think it depends on the goal, right? It's like, yeah, yeah I, think, I think you can probably get to like five to 10K 
revenue a month mm-hmm. pretty easily with something like this. But yeah, if your goal is like build like a multi-million dollar company, then you need an audience. So you're yeah. right. Like, yeah, yeah. It, it depends on what the goal is. So I'm curious, you're kind of growing as a creator through this entire process. You were the creator behind the creators for so many years, helping these guys monetize and grow their podcast. And now you've started to create kind of your own personal brand and your own personal podcast, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, like how you visualize and how you want to plan out your own personal brand, because this mm-hmm. is something that I'm always working with myself. So for example, like I, I, I'm really tempted to start another podcast, which is kind of in the space that I'm in, but not completely in the space that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And there's a bit of overlap, but not a complete overlap, right? And I love that idea from an open, flexible personal brand strategy, but I also mm-hmm. don't love that idea because I love to focus on one thing. And it's something I talk about mm-hmm. a lot with my clients and people that I on the podcast. Gary Keller. Yes. So what's your thoughts on that? Because you're the creator behind the creator, but you created the creator podcast, but you're also the podcasting guy. Would you ever start two podcasts, one that's not necessarily related to the the things that you're doing now? Or what's your what's the vision for you over the next few years? Yeah, I almost think of this as like, um, do I want to be the... Um, the artist or the business person and and honestly it it is a struggle because i can go both ways and make a case for both yeah um i actually was going to start another podcast a few months ago and i was like (laughs) not a not a smart decision because i want to like get like make sure like one is standing on its own yeah um the other thing we're also looking at is um basically building shows around other creators so i'm talking to a few people about who like basically want to host a show don't want to manage the business side at all So if I can build a team like that does growth and does the monetization and then basically like start like publishing other people Mm -hmm. and then build like a massive podcast network where instead of advertising, we're like building subscriptions behind each podcast and the audiences are like in the same psychographic. So we can start merging audiences. I think Barstool Sports is a great model of that where like they have all these different shows and personalities and now they've built a massive business around it. So I'm exploring. I think they're, they're... and maybe I think like that's the problem is like there's so many different options yeah. that my the way I think about it is there's an artist side of me that wants to go with some options and then there's like the business side. Yeah. And on different days, different ones are like in charge almost. <laughs> so I so I am still figuring out which one to pick. Yeah, I'm in the same field. You know, one thing that a friend mentioned, he's a podcaster as well. He said, well, what you should do, Chris, is continue to build that those what you mentioned artist skills that are kind mm-hmm. of already embedded in the business model until you're 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 so great at those artist skills, those creator skills that you have to merge and you have to create something else mm-hmm. on the side that but but then you'll continue to get the wheels of the current model really deepen the foundations, give it more roots, grow the audience. And then there'll be a point where it's like you can no longer hold back all these artist skills that you have that you've got. Like for you, for example, mm-hmm. um, you know, you were the creator behind the creator for so long, helping these guys yeah. um, make their podcasts great. And then you're to a point where like, I've got to do this on my own now and I've got to create my own podcast to help these creators. So, so yeah. maybe that's a good way to look at it over time. Cause it's, it's really hard cause I'm a creator as well, obviously. Um, and yeah. for us creators that are also very business savvy, it's hard because we're like, there's a devil on one sh- shoulder and a devil on the other shoulder. There's no angel. Um, and yep. they're both like, <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
I, I love that. And I think, I think this is another thing that like people, maybe it's important to highlight is because sometimes like people will think like podcasters or like people like you look up, like have everything figured out. No yeah. one does, right? Like everyone's still experimenting. Everyone still kind of like goes through these like struggles. And I think I, I'm curious like what your thoughts are on this. There's also this almost like beautiful insecurity in being a creator because yeah. there's this like Ira Glass thing, which is like, if you're trying to do anything and you have taste, your initial stuff is going to suck. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and then and if you're trying to like, I mean, for me, like I've been recently studying just like the skill of interviewing mm-hmm. and watching like people like in the late night, like Johnny Carson and Graham Norton in England. And like, those guys are like fucking pioneers. And I, yeah. when I look at like the way they're interviewing, I'm like, I have a long way to go. Right. Yeah. So, so almost in that, it's like still doing it, still publishing, knowing you're not where you want to be. There's that insecurity. And like, and sometimes almost it's like, you know the business and the growth side yeah. to, to make that big, but then you're like, but it's not that good. And I, I think like that's like every creator faces that. I, I agree. I agree. It's that, that either that desire of wanting to be better, like that consistent, it's, it's the desire to grow, right? That's what it is. It's mm-hmm. the desire to grow that makes us insecure, but also confident based on like yeah. the results that we've created in the past. Um, yeah. But it's, the, the, the other... go ahead, go ahead. Good. Uh, the, the other one I haven't faced it because I just haven't done the creation side for so long. I look at musicians, right? Like there's stories of musicians that did a certain kind of music and got, got really famous. And then they want to like, then they have to make a choice. Do I keep doing the same thing for the rest of my life? Like, you yeah. know, podcaster podcasts that for like five years have maybe been very similar. Or do I like want to completely come jump genres and like do something completely different? And then your audience actually wants you to stay here. But yes. you want to make that leap. And I think like that's another part of like that creator's journey that I haven't reached yet, but I'm excited about. Yes. A, a perfect example is like Taylor Swift or those musicians that start out in country music and they want to go to pop or hip hop or whatever. And um, their audience doesn't want them to do that, but then they do and they become even greater. But a challenge in itself, right? Like that, that transition, that's, that's glass ceiling that we have to break through. So. Mm-hmm. Totally. So, yeah. So this has been fantastic, man. This is a, a phenomenal show, dude. We went over an hour and a half, and we uh, did, huh? Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap up, Sashid, is there anything else? Any other tidbits you want to add? Talk about podcasting, growth, your story, anything? Before we close off. Yeah, I, I think the message I love leaving people with. I think like every, I'm seeing like everyone wants to start a podcast especially friends and stuff. Yeah. Um, the thing I always tell people is like, if you want to do an interview show, like stop thinking about everything else, find four people to interview and just do it. Yeah. Because once you've like gone over that hurdle, everything else, like name of the show, blah, 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 becomes much easier. And I think, um, I think that there's people like who might say stuff like, oh, there's like so many podcasts already. Like, why do we need more podcasts? I'm like, stop listening to them because even if you create a show, do 10 interviews, 10 people listen to it, maybe like two of them are your like mom and dad or whatever <laughs> just i think the the uh journey of going through and doing it will help you learn more about yourself yeah. and and so i think like more people should be storytelling because i think at, at our heart right like humans are storytellers yeah and we we sat around the campfire yeah. telling stories to make sense of the world around us and so i think that's that's what i see podcasting as and that's why i think more people should be doing it 
Well, and it's just like, you know, nobody says, why would you make more TV shows? There's already enough TV shows. I mean, new TV shows and series exactly, yeah. all the time. But they're coming out in new formats now with Netflix and long-term series and this sort of thing. So you got to be creative to stay on top of it. Like, what can you do to be different? What can you do to stand out in your podcast? Um, so... Dude, man, this has been a, a fantastic show. I've really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the chat and getting to know you better and um, getting inside the mind of Sashi Gupta. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm spending a lot more time in learning Twitter. So okay. Twitter is just my name, S-A-C-H-I-T-G-U-P-T-A. Uh-huh. And then my show is on creators.show creators.show okay and and i I was surprised that no one had taken that domain name before (laughs) (laughs) and and then business domain if people want to reach out and hire you are you still doing that or yeah so that's just uh platformsmedia.com perfect thanks so much for coming on the show man i've really enjoyed it thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us thank you so much shashi yeah thank you for having me this was a wonderful wide-ranging discussion yes thanks for shepherding that And listeners, thank you guys for tuning in once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey, listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high-performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight-figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.